we have junior church today. So we can go ahead and dismiss the kids, and we're going to talk to grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, about this very story. So it's been a rough year. It's been a rough year, hasn't it? 2020 was very interesting indeed. Last year, we weren't even, even able to have Easter in person. And so far, 2021 has kind of started out a little rough too, hasn't it? But this year, we get to have Easter in person, and I'm thankful for that. But I want to ask you, in 2021, what are some of your biggest fears? And as you think about what maybe your biggest fears are, I want to ask you then the second question, how does the resurrection speak to those fears? Or does it? Well, I'm glad that you asked. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As you're turning to 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to look at 1 through 23 as a whole. What I want to go over with you is some of the top fears that America seems to have according to some polls and some data that's out there. As you might imagine, the very first thing on the list is sickness and death. I wonder where that came from, right? But of course, it seems logical, it seems natural that one of the first on the list would be sickness and death. And of course, that means not only for themselves, but also for others, family members, friends. Second, very close to the first, is money, the economy. Where is the next paycheck coming from? We have seen things closed down for a very long time. We have seen businesses go out of business. We have seen people close their doors. We've seen people lose their jobs. And then after that comes government corruption. I don't care if you're on the left or the right or somewhere in the middle. There is things on the news constantly, it seems, of people talking back and forth for different directions, different things. But that's not only here in America. That's around the world. The government as a whole is at a historically low approval rating. There is protesting here and abroad. And in fact, there's so much protesting that we seem to sometimes tune it out. It becomes just static on the radio. And then on top of all that, social media has become a dumping ground for everything that is ugly and bitter in this world. Pretty bleak picture. But there's something called the resurrection. What does the resurrection have to do with all these things? Does it matter? Does it matter to you? Well, before we get into that, let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for Easter. We thank you that you have allowed us to gather together this year. We praise you for your good, true word. God, we would ask that you would prepare our hearts and our minds, that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us, that you would quiet our fears and our concerns that we might hear you today. God, we thank you for 1 Corinthians 15 and Paul's argument here. As we seek to unpack it, we pray that it would be a blessing to us as we know that it was a blessing to those to whom it was originally written to. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. The fact of the matter is, as Paul's writing this letter, it's very much like it is today. So Paul's writing this letter to the people in Corinth. They have an untrusted Roman government right, who is seeking to subjugate them or control them and who's using force to do so. There's a a huge pull between politics and religion, especially for these 
this baby church, these new believers in Christ. Their societal judgment, whether Jew or Gentile. And part of the societal judgment is the belief in this myth that some man from Nazareth named Jesus was raised from the dead. (coughs) Excuse me. You see, the fact of the matter is that resurrection was not a thing that happened back then or today, right? And so when these folks were talking about this, they were seen as fools, especially because how did Jesus die? He died from a Roman death, right? Jesus was crucified. The Romans had perfected this way of extermination. As he hung on the tree, people would suffocate. You've heard sermons probably dedicated to this. Or if not, you can Google and find all the ins and outs of how crucifixion was such a good and effective means of killing people. And so from that, this man was claimed to be resurrected. So I'm going to start out the way that Paul does, and I want to remind you. But the fact of the matter, fact of the matter is, is what he's seeking to remind people about is the gospel. And so I want to start by saying I can't remind you of something that you haven't already received. I can only remind you of something that you already have obtained. And so I want to ask you first and foremost this morning, have you obtained the gospel? If you have, then this should be a reminder to you. The gospel means good news. And in today's society, in today's world, the good news is something we all desperately need. And so I would ask you to please listen as Paul reminds us about this good news. Here's how he starts. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So if you have heard this before, you've probably heard it by a preacher, probably by a teacher, by a Sunday school leader, maybe a friend, maybe a coworker, mother, father, sister, brother, aunts, uncles, cousins. Somebody has brought this word to you of the good news. And secondly, it had to have been received by you. It's kind of like a Christmas present, right? Your grandma might knit you the sweater and give it to you, but if you never actually put it on, Do you really want it? Do you really own it? Do you really receive it? Also, then, he tells us here, this is what we stand on. And so what we're going to talk about today, about the resurrection, matters. It matters. Because it's either true or it's not. Let's see if we can fact check it this morning. And then also he says, in which you are being saved. So not only is it definitive in Christianity... It is by the means by which we have been saved and are currently being saved. Of course, he says, unless you have believed in vain. Now, what does that mean? Well, he is writing to the church at Corinth for that very reason. Let's see what he says in the next verse there. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. This is very, very important. But the fact of the matter is everybody dies. As you leave here this morning, you can look across the street and you can see a cemetery 
And unless they're walking around in there, everybody in there is dead. Everybody who has a headstone in there is dead. Everyone. So everybody dies. But the fact of the matter is, is that he says, Paul argues that this is of first importance. This is good news. When recently have you heard somebody's death being proclaimed as good news? Absolutely not. People die from being shot. People die from COVID. People die in car accidents or from drug overdoses or from suicides or from other things. Never have you ever heard people say, let me tell you about this good news of somebody who has died. But here he says this is of first importance. And he also says it's of first importance that he dies according to the scriptures. And why is it of first importance? Why did he die? Look at the text. He died for your sins, our sins, which means, by the way, that we are sinners. It infers and it implies that we needed someone to die for us. So the good news is Jesus' death? Yes, but not also. The good news is his death, that he died for your sins, but the good news isn't good news until verse 4, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So he was buried and dead for three days. For three days he was in a tomb. And then the scriptures say, this scripture, but also others, that on the third day he was raised. This is a key belief in all of Christianity. There's some theories against this. So the theories against this is perhaps there was body snatchers. Perhaps some of Jesus' followers, excuse me, perhaps some of Jesus' followers came to the tomb in the dead of the night while the Roman centurions were sleeping. They rolled the, they rolled the giant boulder away very quietly so as not to wake them up. They carried Jesus out, re-rolled the stone there, and then slid it back all in the middle of the night. It's a theory. It's a completely unplausible theory, but it's a theory. Another one would be that maybe they went to the wrong tomb, right? I mean, we do that all the time, right? You go to the cemetery to visit your loved ones, and you end up spending, you know, two or three hours at the foot of somebody else's gravesite, only to realize later that you're at the wrong one, right? That happens. No. Or maybe it was just a hallucination. Everybody that day just happened to drink the Kool-Aid. All 500, right? All of them, all 500. And by the way, most of them, especially some of the ones that we're talking about today, they, in fact, it was such a vivid hallucination for them that to the point of death, they continued to proclaim it. Or maybe it was just a deception. Maybe these folks purposefully were lying. So I want to talk to you about the resurrection. I would remind you that today is the day of Easter and ask you if you believe because we have to talk about the resurrection. The fact is everybody dies, but not everybody is raised back to life, at least not right now. And so Paul is writing this because some may not have believed. And so maybe that's you today. Or if that's not you in this room, maybe that's you out there. Because this is a very divisive proposition. And in fact, all of Christianity rests on it. So what if there was no resurrection? I mean, what would happen to Christianity? What would happen to us if there was no resurrection? This is the argument 
that Paul is going to go through. So he comes in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So some of them in the Corinthian church were confused. Some of them were thinking, well, hey, I can believe all the rest of it, but when it comes to this whole resurrection of the dead thing, I don't think there is a resurrection of the dead. And Paul simply says this, if that's the case, then scripture's untrue. Remember back to verse 4. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can look there. Verse 4 says, according to the scriptures, he was raised. So that means that scripture's untrue. Not only that, but it was prophesied that he was raised. So that means the Old Testament is untrue too. And the prophecies are untrue. And God's Word is wrong. That also means that Jesus himself was a liar. Because Jesus himself tells us in John 2.19 and John 11.25 specifically, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And it says later that he was speaking of his body. Or in John 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And so not only is scripture untrue, but Jesus himself be a liar. And if that wasn't bad enough, then we can assume then that these disciples were liars as well. Because in verses 5 through 8, previous, it talks about what I just talked to you about. That Jesus had come in the flesh, in the resurrected flesh, and met with the disciples. Ate with the disciples. In big groups, as up to 500, and in small groups. And then Paul says in this letter, and then as one untimely born, he appears to me. Remember, on the road to Damascus, Jesus comes. And so if this not be true, then they are liars. Or in verses 14 through 15, it goes on. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. You see, the fact of the matter is, if this is untrue, my preaching is worthless. My position in this church is worthless. You sitting here is worthless. If Christ was not raised, the scripture is false, Jesus is false, and so I would ask you, what is the point? Not only that, in scripture, it tells us that if you bear false witness for God, you should be stoned to death. In verse 15, it says that they're even found to be misrepresenting God. And it also says that then your faith is in vain. So look around you today. Just go ahead and swivel your head from side to side. Or for those of you who are watching online, understand that all of, all of this, all of us, we are fools, and so are you for listening and watching. If Christ not be raised. Every missionary you support, think of the ones who have went to other countries and lost their lives fools. The buildings we make, the songs we sing, futile, foolish nonsense. The inward hope, joy, peace, and transformation that you think that you'd experienced, false. Self-deceived if Christ be not raised. 
because no resurrection means no resurrected Jesus. But it goes on. It also says, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Think of the horror of this conclusion. That you, in hope, joy, peace, that the guilt that you feel and the salve that you receive upon repenting from that sin at the foot of the cross means nothing. That you are still as damned today as you were any other day, on your worst day. Because the resurrection is proof of purchase. See, everybody dies, but it says here that Christ died for our sin according to the scriptures. And that he was raised according to the scriptures. If he be not raised, your sins are not paid for. And you are damned yet. But also, there's natural consequences. Because it says next that then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Woe to those who have put their hope and trust. And on the day of their death, as they stare over the edge of the chasm into the abyss, have hoped in Christ. For they are in hell today. Every funeral that you've went to, every testimony that you've heard, every little old man and little old woman that this church over the years has celebrated the life of and the religion of and the faith of is currently burning if the resurrection be not true. Think of the wickedness of Paul that knowing this to be a lie would be a missionary to the Gentiles preaching and teaching daily, it says, in their, in their places, with tears and supplications, pleading with them to believe this. Think of the glee of, of Satan at the thought of us being still caught in our sin if the resurrection be not true. Which brings us to the then natural conclusion. He says, if, Christ, if in Christ our hope is only in this life, we of all people are most to be pitied because there is no joy and no hope for us. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, wrote this uh, about this text. He says, if we have given up the brown bread and cannot eat the white, you are starved indeed. Here's what he means by that. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as one who believes in the resurrection and seeks to be obedient to he who was died and was raised for you, it is our joy and we are compulsed by the Holy Spirit, if this all be true, that we are then repulsed by the things of the world. That those things that bring a false sense of joy, the lust of the eye and the pride of the heart, that those things do not, cannot fulfill us. In fact, we are repulsed by them. And yet Paul says, if there be no resurrection, then there is no hope for the future either that this life brings absolutely no benefit to us and the life to come brings even less. Therefore, if this be not true, if Christ be not raised, we are the most miserable, pitiable people of all time. For one would argue we are wasting this life on a false mythology only to suffer in the next. 
but this is why you're here. You're here so that I can remind you about the resurrection. So I can remind you about the resurrection so that you can have hope. So I can remind you that there is a resurrection. That there was a resurrection. That's what Easter is about. That's what the good news of the gospel is about. That's why Paul says this is of first importance, that he died, but then also that he was raised. Scripture says that he was raised. Jesus said that he would be raised. Paul says and said that he would be raised. And I say to you today that he was raised. And I'm here to remind you and also to plead with you. Because you cannot be reminded of that which you haven't received. And so if you're here this morning and you're on the fence about this whole thing, or if you're watching live and you're on the fence about this whole thing, I am here not only to remind, but to plead with you to receive this. Because here's the thing. This has already been fact-checked, okay? Paul says here, he says, but in fact, in reality, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Here is the fact check. Christ was raised. Christ is alive. We celebrate Easter, and this is a reminder to you of the resurrection because it is true. And also, because that is true, it is true for you. And that is the joy of Easter Sunday. That our sins are forgiven, that Christ has been raised, and that because of that, so are we. Because he says, Paul makes this argument, it has to follow. Because in Adam, sin was brought into the world, and all of us have, are now in sin, right? Because through Adam, all have sinned, and because of sin, death. But he says, then conversely, in Christ, there is life. And all those who are in Christ are connected to that and then justified. He says that he was died to sin and was resurrected to our justification. And so he says, Scripture, Jesus, the apostles are true. My preaching, your faith is not in vain. That, that is why Matthew 28, the Great Commission, is what we are called to do. Preach and teach this good news throughout the world and go and make disciples your faith my preaching is not in vain. Also, the dead have not perished. We can rejoice in those who have went before us. That's why we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, those who have fought the good fight of the faith, those who have went before us, who are heralding us onward. That is why we can mourn, but not like those without hope. And most of all, that means you are no longer in your sin. That the guilt and the shame and the sorrow, the anger or the fear or the bitterness, the anxiety, the stress, all of it was nailed to the cross. And that, that, Scripture says, is what has remained in the grave. That was put to death. It says he died to death that he might live for life, for us, for our lives, that we might be in Christ. 
which then also means that Christians are not most miserable of all, but rather the only ones who know true and real joy. And so that is Easter. So I'm going to end exactly where Paul began. I would remind you about the resurrection so that you have hope. I would remind you about the resurrection so you rejoice. I would remind you about the resurrection so that in a world that is catastrophic and chaotic, that you have a solid rock upon which to stand. And so here's what Paul says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. For I delivered to you as of first importance. What I also received, grace, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Because he is risen. It is true. And so I would like to remind you and plead with you that if you have not received, that today might be the day where you too can be reminded of the resurrection so that you might have hope. Because the fact of the matter is Christ did come. Christ did live. Christ did die. But Christ was raised. And he is alive. And he is currently sitting at the right hand of the Father because on the cross he said it is finished, which means you can rest in what he has done and have joy and hope and peace because he lives. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for all that you have done and that it is finished. God, we praise you for this truth, for this fact of the resurrection. We thank you for your son Jesus, for the you've given, for the testimony of your spirit, for the witness of those who have come before us. We thank you that it is by your word. So God, we would pray for those who are even maybe in our midst who have not yet received this, who do not yet know or accept this good news. God, let today be the day of their salvation. For those of us who may have received it, God, thank you for the reminder of this truth, that the resurrection is that upon which we stand, for it is the receipt of Christ's victory over sin and death, and therefore we are not most miserable, but rather most blessed. Praise you, our Father. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing some songs of praise.